Kurmil Mahagi Yuan Asagorlahashin, Agus Gormahagi Hainas, Tak, the Lahar, Taku, Leshenokaja. Siobhan, in her introduction, very adeptly managed to dump all the blame on me for this series, but she forgot to mention the woman she sees in the mirror. Uh, because this series would not have been uh, inaugurated, uh, nor would many other initiatives been started without the stalwart support of Siobhan and the team in the library. It's a great pleasure to deal with somebody uh, like Siobhan, uh, who has been totally supportive of this series of conferences and many other things uh, over the years. And I'd also like to uh, acknowledge and to thank uh, the help of and uh, the, the participation of Lizzie Boyle and um, my old institution, her current institution, Maynooth University, uh, for, for their part in it. And also the team was team, different teams of scholars who in the four series have uh, accepted the, the invitation to contribute uh, and to make it truly an, uh, uh, an international, a national and international uh, event uh, for Celtic studies in general. Now, 23 and 10, or the Book of Ballycommon, presents a very interesting case study in the context of this series of conferences in which we seek not only to examine various individual manuscripts from a number of standpoints, but also at the broader context of manuscript culture in late medieval Ireland, examining with the benefit of the case study each conference and ensuing publication brings matters such as scribal networks and centers, sources, patronage and purpose, and indeed we try to trace the journeys taken by our manuscripts from the time of writing to their arrival at their present repositories. In attempting to do so, however, we must always be mindful of the fact that though the body of Irish manuscript transmitted to us from medieval times is both, ex both extensive and diverse, it represents but part of what once was in existence. What survives today owes much to the vagaries of history and of chance, for earlier records allude to many manuscripts, both in Irish and Latin, that were in existence prior to the 17th century, but that did not survive the transformative events of that period, falling victim to willful destruction or simple neglect. The circumstances that determined what would survive and what not were arbitrary, insofar as we can trace the, the history of each surviving manuscript. So what has been transmitted to us from the period prior to the fall of the Gaelic order is a diverse range of manuscript books and fragments, some lavish in their formation and illumination, clearly being works of art to be valued, treasured, and viewed, while others have the appearance of being the workbooks of individual scholars or scholarly communities, and may never have been intended for public viewing. While this in no way diminishes their value uh, to us, in fact, quite the opposite, they can often be very informative, we should be aware that manuscripts, the manuscripts we have may have had widely differing purposes. Bearing these points in mind, let's turn to 23 and 10. And while my brief is to speak of the Ulster cycle material contained in it, a few preliminary comments on the manuscript will not be out of place. So 23 and 10, the Book of Ballycommon, written in 1575 in the house of Sean and of Balian Chemine, or Ballycommon, uh, in the barony of Ballantubber in uh, Roscommon. It consists of 14 vellum folios and 132 paper pages. An interesting fact in itself, because it shows the relatively new medium, we've had paper uh, for some time, but being extensively used in this manuscript. 
Three scribes uh, sign uh, the work, A, Dofuch and Thorne, Omwel Khonre. The other two are also likely to be members of the uh, Omwel Khonre family. The, te- the book consists of about 80 texts in prose and in verse. Uh, the figure 80 uh, may seem like a very large number, but consider that some of them, uh, some of the uh, works in question, are just brief verse, uh, verse compositions of two or three stanzas. But some of the other texts are quite uh, extensive. And the other point we make about it is that some of the texts are cast in what Standish Hayes O'Grady calls uncouth orthography. He refers to it as in other ways, and I think we'll hear a bit more about this uh, tomorrow in Michal's paper. What does it contain then? It contains a concentration of very early texts. Uh, when we look through some of the texts we have, out of modern Verba Scothiga, Abir Kravids, Imbrov Bran, and so on, these are texts that belong to the earliest stages of narrative literature in Irish. Several of the texts in uh, 23 and 10, are associated with the lost manuscript Kinsramashnachta, and it contains other Old and Middle Irish compositions. Many of the compositions found in the Book of Ballycommon are found in other manuscripts of the 15th and 16th centuries, but not in the same concentration. This is an important point. The concentration of texts is one of the really uh, key points about this manuscript, I think. The manuscripts in which they're found were discussed uh, many years ago by Thomas Concanon in his 1988 article, and I will refer, them now, uh, refer to them now as the Connacht group. This is a little bit of a misnomer in that some of the manuscripts are not, were not written in Connacht, but they have clear Connacht associations. And we'll be talking about these uh, later on. The next question is, where did the texts come from? What was the exemplar they had? As some of the texts in the book are almost uh, a thousand years older than the time of writing, some date to the beginning of the, uh, of the seventh century. Uh, the question is, where do they get these texts? And Kathleen Mulcrone has suggested that the scribes were copying from a single exemplar. Now, this is an important point, because when we look at the composition of other manuscripts, such as the book, back of, the book of Ballymote, the book of Iwana, uh, the book of Lekin, and some of the other uh, late medieval manuscripts, the scribes refer to culling or taking texts from different sources. So what these scribes are doing in these texts were bringing together material to form a new book that had a fixed purpose. Uh, Ballycommon, the scribes don't mention uh, other sources, and Mulcrone has adduced certain evidence, she's misfortune or I best for this, to, to suggest that they were comp- uh, copying from a, a single exemplar. And this raises questions about the nature of the book we have. Uh, it seems, and I may be wrong, that to be just a scholar's book, scholar or scholar's book, uh, and may have been a source or archival manuscript of a learned family. I will come back to this and to the learned family in question uh, in, in due course. Now, I've been uh, asked to speak about the Ulster Cycle texts in the, in the Book of Ballycommon, uh, and these are the following. There's Tokvark Evere, the second recension of the tale, I'll discuss it later on, containing, uh, containing a version of the Verba Scothiga. It contains uh, a, a pass- a, 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 an excerpt from the Din Hanachus of Avon Wacha, another, an earlier version of Verba Scothica, 
the text, the short text, Forfest Fervalge, Kompertonkollen, and Adet Kontwer. So my uh, research question, what I'm trying to address here is the provenance and transmission of these texts, i.e. how do they end up in North Roscommon in 1575 and in 23 and 10. First of all, let's say a few words about the Ulster cycle of tales. Uh, it consists of about 80 sagas, poems, and shorter prose compositions composed and redacted over very many centuries. This literature, as far as it's been examined, can be shown to have served many different functions. These are historical narratives. We have exemplary myths, both negative and positive exemplary myths. The, the tales may have served as vehicles for moral and societal precepts, heroic ideals, legal precepts or legal cases, political propaganda, genealogy, dinhanchus, caricature and burlesque, because many of the, certain of the tales seem to be a send-up of society or a send-up of, of other tales in the corpus. And they may simply have served uh, for simple entertainment. But the important point here is that the Ulster cycle is not a monolithic structure. Over the period of time, we can, we can trace and detect changes in emphasis, uh, change depending on the circumstances or, or the context uh, of composition. Uh, and this is, is something that should be borne in mind in each text we, uh, we examine. So it is not a, a simple uh, one-size-fits-all body of st stories composed at one time uh, that had certain function. It develops over a long period of time. And indeed, we find some of the texts being re-edited rewritten uh, and brought up to date, changed in various different ways. Uh, and this is testimony to, to a living. Uh, the number of 80 sagas texts are taken from uh, Thorneisen's Heldensaga, uh, which traces the, the development of the cycle down to the 17th century. But we do get some fresh compositions in the 18th and 19th centuries as well. And of course, uh, we get certain tales that enter the oral traditions of Gaelic Scotland uh, and Ireland and are, uh, and are well uh, attested. The origins of the Ulster cycle uh, are obscure, but are likely to be sought among the Ullads, or the, uh, the ancient people of Ulster, whose ancestors the tales celebrate. In our earliest historical record, the Ullas, uh, the Ulstermen, uh, are a people who are largely confined to the modern counties of Antrim and Down, with a large part of North, uh, North uh, Louth, really east of the River Ban. This is an attenuated uh, situation because tradition holds that the ancient province of Ulster stretched from the mouth of the Boyne in County Loud to the mouth of the Drowse in, uh, in Donegal. And indeed, this, these boundaries of Ulster are mentioned uh, several times. That the situation obtaining in the 7th century was relatively new may be gauged from the fact that the annals this time make frequent reference to warfare between the Ulla, the Ulster people, and the Inyale or the Ariela, people who had come from the, from the west and had taken uh, much of their land uh, from them. Because this is a literary tradition and makes use of writing, we should seek uh, its origin or its, uh, its promotion in some of the scribal centers uh, that uh, are the ecclesiastical centers in this particular area. And East Ulster 
was home to many important ecclesiastical foundations. We think of Bangor, we think of Dundal Yechlash, or Downpatrick, Movilla, Nendrum, and several others, going down further south into, into County, County Laval. With this area is associated with the manuscript I mentioned earlier on, uh, the Keynes Ramashnachta, uh, which may have been uh, composed in Bangor. Now, the idea that the, uh, that the Ulster cycle uh, originated in East Ulster is one that several scholars have, uh, have discussed in the past. Most recently, uh, David Stifter in the latest volume in Eulidia IV, where he examines the texts of Keynes Ramashnachta and looks at the East Ulster uh, uh, Association. The compositions of the Ulster cycle belong to the earliest stratum of narrative literature. That is, when you go back as far as you can in narrative literature, you'll find tales or poems of the Ulster cycle there. So it has a very, very early beginning. But what happens is that the Ulster traditions become embedded in a national historical narrative associated with the origins of peoples in different parts of Ireland. And just to illustrate that with one small point, if we look at the genealogies, the massive genealogy, genealogical compilations we have in the, in the books of Lekin, Ballymote, uh, and, uh, and Ivana, we'll find that figures such as Fargus MacRow, a great hero of the Ulster cycle, a former king of Ulster, or Conal Cearnach, likewise a great warrior of the Ulster cycle, uh, occupy pivotal roles there. Peoples in not only in Ulster, uh, but also in Leinster and in Munster, claim descent from these figures. So they, they occupy pivotal nodes in the genealogical scheme of things. So the Ullad, or the Ulstermen of old, were accorded a slot in Irish prehistory. And this slot seems to have been accepted uh, uh, more or less widespreadly, but there were, you find, dissenting, uh, dissenting voices in in different uh, places. Now, because it has a, um, a national reach, uh, let us say, who might have brought this about? Who was responsible for writing them into uh, a national literature? Because this time, the, um, the monasteries, the uh, East Ulster, was not uh, to the forefront, was not a, a powerhouse. So if we think of national and of course, when we're talking about Ireland at this time, if we're talking about Ireland in the 7th or 8th centuries, we're talking about a country that was fragmented politically, uh, even though there was a lot of cultural, cultural unity. But who had a national idea? Who thought in, 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 big, in big terms about it? And the answer, I think, almost invariably will have to be Armagh. Armagh was a very important uh, foundation. It was a foundation that was hugely ambitious, uh, and it had the financial and intellectual wherewithal uh, to match this ambition. We need only look at some of the uh, some of the works that uh, that emanated uh, from Armagh um, at this period. Think of the patrician legend, the manner in which Armagh scholars collected material associated with Saint Patrick, added to it and established the legend that St. Patrick was the, well, built on patrician legend and uh, succeeded in, in their familia in having other churches be subordinate uh, to them and pay them tithes and taxes. Most, more recently, uh, so there's a body of literature associated with the patrician legend uh, that we associate with Armagh. Uh, more recently, Liam Branagh, 
uh, has argued that the Shanachas Mar, the great uh, law codex, uh, was uh, compiled in Armagh uh, in the second half of the 7th century. This is a very, very early date uh, indeed. Uh, we know that in Armagh in the 8th and 9th century, the annals were revised. Uh, again, the annals have to do with the national picture and that the genealogies were reshaped there as well. Um, Richard Sharp has also shown, shown that the uh, people in Armagh were interested in forging links with Rome and in gaining primacies of, of Ireland. So this is a, a, national, uh, a national ambition. And more recently, Padre Murthy has uh, argued that the written register of, of Old Irish, such as we find in some of the Old Irish glosses and other texts, may uh, reflect a, uh, an Armagh take uh, on early Irish. So for a number of reasons, Armagh seems to be the most likely candidate for the promotion uh, of these uh, different legends, as uh, I'll argue again uh, a little bit uh, later. Now, returning to 23 and 10, uh, the tales uh, we have here are Tokfark Evida, uh, the second recension of the tale. This contains the Verba Scothica uh, and the Din Hanachas of Avonwacha, uh, items that are found um, individually in, uh, in uh, 23 and 10 in the book of uh, Ballycommon. It contains the second version of Verba Scothica. I'll explain to you in a minute what that means. The other four texts, the Verbus Gothica, the, the short, the first version of Verbus Gothica, Forfes Fervalge, Comper Concolin, and Adad Concobar are all associated, are all supposed to have been in the lost manuscript Keens Romashnachte, which bespeaks a, 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 an early date for them. Uh, Keens Romashnachte, it's, it's not, it's what was argued, it was a text of the 8th century, it has since been, uh, the opinion has been before that it may have been a bit later, but whatever date we uh, attach to the compilation of Keynes Ramashnachte, the important point is that the texts contained are all very, very uh, early uh, indeed. Now, I'm trying to trace how some of these texts came from uh, East Ulster to North Ross Common, and I'm going to concentrate for the purposes of this talk on two of the texts, two related texts, and I'm going to introduce a third uh, briefly that is not in the uh, not in the book of Ballycommon, but is related to the text. Uh, I will discuss the other two texts in the written uh, submission, but because there's a lot of uh, stemmas and a lot of uh, tracing of manuscripts, I'll just try and uh, adhere uh, to these uh, particular texts uh, at present and just to see what may have happened to them and see what tale uh, they have to tell us uh, about the journey uh, they took. Uh, starting with Tokfork Evere, we have two recensions of this tale. This tale is about the, the wooing of Ever, Ever being Cúchulán's wife. It falls into uh, two uh, distinct parts. Uh, the Firstly, the, the wooing of, of Ever, and the second part, which uh, speaks about Cúchulán's journey abroad to learn martial arts. He travels to the encampment of a woman called Scothach, who is an Amazonian woman, a female warrior, who trains uh, uh, warriors. Uh, there he uh, has a number of, uh, of uh, love affairs, 
including one with a woman called Aoife, by which uh, he has a son, uh, and he subsequently uh, kills the, uh, the son in the tale known as Adad Einar Aoife. This is a, was a very uh, uh, important tale of the Ulster Cycle. And we have two recensions. The first one is of the 8th century. It's fragmentary and is found in only one manuscript, Rawlinson B. 512, uh, a 15th or early 16th manuscript uh, I'll speak about uh, presently. Uh, recension 2 is um, of uh, recension two uh, is of the 11th century, probably, and is found in a number of manuscripts, Lavern the Hydra, uh, British Library, Harley 5280, Edgerton uh, uh, 92, The Book of Formoy, and Royal Irish Academy D4. These last three once belonged, they're fragments in each, once belonged to the compilation we now call the Book of uh, the book of uh, Vermoy, and finally, uh, 23 and 10. The Verbus Scothica is found in two recensions, recension A or recension 1, has got 32 lines, and it's found in Rawlinson B. 512, Edgerton 1782, uh, the legal manuscript Edgerton 88, and again, 23 and 10. Now, it's found as a self-standing uh, uh, an alone standing composition. It is not embedded in Topfer like the second recension is. The second recension, uh, which is an expanded recension, is embedded in Topfer Evera 2. That is, it comes in the, t it's inserted into the tale. Uh, Scothoch uh, instructs Kuchholan uh, in this particular tale, and uh, she uh, uh, through, uh, through the medium of this, uh, of this, uh, uh, of this uh, poem, uh, or this, uh, it's actually a, a, a prophecy in which she foretells uh, what, is, what is going to happen. We'll come back to this again uh, uh, presently. Thornbow Quilna, I'm sticking to uh, the first recension of Thornbow Quilna. Uh, this is the Old Irish recension, or the Old and Middle Irish recension, which is found in uh, four manuscripts. Uh, Lavern the Hither again, YBL, the Yellow Book of Lecan, Edgerton 1782, and Maynooth O'Curry Manuscript 1. This is the edition edited by Padraig Fianata uh, in the 1960s. Thornbo Quilna, as we know, is a multi-layered text. That is, we have an old Irish core, but to this core, episodes were subsequently added over the period, uh, over a number of, of centuries. This has been discussed by, by Thurneisen in his Heltensaga and is uh, quite usefully uh, summarized by Cecil O'Reilly in her editions of the, uh, of the Recension 1 and Recension uh, 2 uh, of the Thorn. A lot of the, the additional matter has to do with places or place names in County Louth. One of the great uh, uh, one of the great scenes of Thornbo Kuolna has Cuchulain the lone warrior standing on the bridge uh, over the over the Neath, uh, the river, uh, defending uh, Ulster against the invading Connacht armies. And he engages in single combat with a, a, a variety, of, a range of different warriors, uh, killing them all, of course. And the big one is, of course, his fight with, uh, with Faridiyad. Faridiyad uh, was supposed to be a warrior from Connacht originally, uh, a warrior who trained with him, with, with Scothach, uh, when he went uh, to train with her. Now, a lot of these uh, warriors uh, he fights with, uh, their names can, are, are speaking names. They can be associated with toponyms in County Louth. 
the, the best example, of course, being uh, Fardiyad, which is associated with the place name A-Ardiyad, or R-D in County Laos. So the person or the people who added these additional, uh, additional episodes uh, must have been familiar uh, with this particular area. Uh, John Keller uh, suggested that this may have been done in the monastery of Laos by uh, a, 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 an abbot called Kuono, uh, who is, uh, he takes as being referred to in the compilation called the Lever Kuonoch, which was referred to in the annals uh, and, uh, and elsewhere. Uh, be this uh, as it may, uh, we can agree with him that the person or the people who added these episodes uh, had a good knowledge of, of County Louth. So either they were in a monastery in, in Louth or a native of this place working in some other uh, monastery who added this, uh, this, this uh, material. Now, the relationship of Taunbo Kuolna with our text relates to Verba Scothica. Uh, the prophecy in Verba Scothica 1, uh, where Scothic uh, prophesies what is going to happen to Kuolna, relates to an early version of Taunbo Kuolna and is taken to be early evidence for the existence uh, of the Thorn. Whether we date Verba Scothica to the 7th century or, or later, it's one of the earliest references we have to the events of the Thorn. The prophecy in Verba Scothica 2, and remember that Verba Scothica 2 is embedded in Thokberg Evera. It's got 81 lines, whereas the earlier version has 32 or 33 lines. And this seems, the additional material, uh, seems to relate to an expanded version of Thonbo Kuwile. Uh, a number of events that are found in the later, the additional material in Thonbo Kuwile occur in the expanded version of, uh, of Verba Scothia. So this seems to have grown in tandem uh, with, with Thonbo Kuwile. Uh, I'm not saying that it was they were added in tandem, but at some stage, somebody looked at an expanded version of the Thon and expanded Thokberg uh, Evera, uh, expanded, um, expanded uh, this, uh, uh, this poem uh, as well. Now, our earliest evidence uh, for these texts, for Verba Scothica, uh, Thonbo Kuilna, and Thokberg Evera, is Lavar Nehidra, uh, which was mentioned earlier on, written uh, about 1100 AD uh, in Noise, a very important uh, monastery. This is the earliest manuscript witness we have uh, for Thonbo Kuolna and for Thokberg Evera. That's the second recension of Thokberg Evera and the second version of Verba Scothia. It also is the earliest witness for texts um, asso uh, associated with the Kindra Mashnachta uh, uh, recension. Not surprising, it is the earliest all Irish manuscript we have uh, in uh, existence. And it can be shown that some of the texts copied uh, in Elu, Levin uh, were copied from manuscripts associated with Armagh and Monaster Boys. Now, on the back of your uh, handout, there's a map. I'm afraid my skill, however bad my skill as a lecturer is, my skill as a cartographer is even worse uh, because part of the uh, the ecclesiastical centres in East Down have been truncated. But Monaster Boys, another hugely important uh, monastery in, in, in County, in County Louth. The tale, uh, Shanachas, or the narrative of Shanachas and the Relic, mentions that this was taken from the books of Armagh uh, and from the book of Flan Monastery and from the other manuscripts, uh, from the other uh, 
other uh, manuscripts associated with uh, with Monaster Boys. Um, this um, one possible uh, manner in which the texts were transmitted from uh, Armagh to Clonmac Noise, uh, from Armagh in an eighth century se setting to Clonmac Noise in the uh, in the eleventh twelfth century, uh, we might look to the family of Macquin the Mocht, uh, the scribe uh, uh, of uh, uh, Moilwida, uh, the scribe of Elu, uh, was a member of this ecclesiastical family that had associations and origins in Armagh and in Louth, and subsequently transferred to uh, to Clonmac Noise, where they became an important ecclesiastical family, and uh, they've been discussed by Donoghue Coran in the first volume in the uh, Codices uh, series. This is just one possible way in which, uh, in which this happens. Another point to make is that the arrival of Ulster cycle material in Clonmac Noise is also associated with a growth or development of new tales, uh, tales of the 12th or 13th century, um, that are written additions to the Ulster cycle, uh, tales that were written uh, from a historical perspective uh, with the object of connecting places in the Midlands, in County Roscommon, with, uh, with Thaimbo Cúilne. I'm talking here of tales such as Cath Artig, the Battle of Artich, uh, uh, also Bryddin Dachoga may, may belong to this, uh, and tales such as Cath Boanyar, Ferchydrid Melwe, uh, and other tales uh, that belong to a later uh, Ulster cycle. I've discussed these in my chapter in the Authorities and Adaptations uh, volume. Another point is that in the, L, uh, the LU, uh, the Lyar the notes and annotations uh, very often refer to a person called Lugud Riev Nyarug or Lugud Ro Nyarug, a figure, uh, a, a figure associated with places uh, around uh, the Loch Ri area, he and his family. And there seemed to be a very, very uh, keen interest uh, in, in this person. And another, one last point is that in the annals that we associate with, uh, with Tom McNoise, the annals of Tsigernach and others, the com compilers of these annals had a keen interest in inserting material associated with the Ulster cycle and also associated with these uh, later texts in it. So there does seem, the, the arrival of this material does seem to have inspired uh, a further interest uh, in this, uh, in this uh, particular uh, body of material. Now, Laverna Hedre is our earliest uh, manuscript uh, witness, uh, but there is a big gap uh, between Lavar and the Hydra, uh, early 12th century, and the Connacht group, as I uh, mentioned earlier, the Connacht group of manuscripts that date from largely from the 15th and 16th century. In his uh, paper of 1988, uh, which is still is a very, very important paper, Thomas Concanon uh, suggested that the texts we find in the Connacht group, and by extension, in of course, uh, 23 and 10, came directly from Elu, from Lavar Nehidra. Uh, However, subsequent studies of individual texts carried out by scholars such as Thomas Okahasa and Greg Toner uh, have argued against this. They've shown that while indeed 
uh, manuscripts from the Connacht group contain texts that are very similar to those found in LU. In some cases, the readings and the texts they provide are superior. And that suggests, and while you might uh, argue for a certain degree of correction done independently, their extent is so great that it seems to be far better to argue that they go back to a shared exemplar. That is, that LU and the texts of the Connacht uh, group, however far back they go, come from a shared exemplar or exemplars found in Clonmacnoise Noise in the 11th and 12th centuries, but are now lost. So while we rightly have high regard for LU, uh, the flagship uh, manuscript, um, what we should say about LU really is that it is the great survivor. And bearing in mind what I said at the outset about the survival of some of the manuscripts, the story of LU is itself interesting, as we traced at this conference uh, some years ago, because it had the, the good fortune uh, to end up uh, with the Ikhleira or the O'Donnell family in Donegal, who had a very keen interest in their own history and in books, and who preserved quite a lot of books. And when they went into exile uh, at the beginning of the 17th century, uh, their archive of books, uh, many of the books uh, found in, in, uh, in Brussels uh, and in the Franciscan collection can be connected with them. So they seem to have built up a very, very large archive indeed. And the same might also be said for the Book of Ballymote, which also entered their archive. But the exemplar from which LU was copied, uh, or some of the texts were copied, and ultimately ended up in the, uh, in the Connacht group, uh, have been lost. So the question is, how did these texts then come from Clonmac Noise to end up in, uh, in the Connacht group and in uh, 23N10? Uh, um, first hint, we have the Connacht group are written in manuscripts of the 15th and 16th centuries. But we're afforded an early hint in that in one of these manuscripts, the legal manuscript, uh, edition 88, penned by uh, Donald O'Davern, he mentions that one of the texts was taken from a manuscript of Gilakoman O'Kungalain, or Gilakoman O'Kungalig, who was a Farlegant of Roscommon, Rus who died in 1835. Now, if he compiled his um, if he compiled his text, his manuscript, uh, from uh, th this manuscript contained material from Kinsramashnach. Uh, if he compiled it uh, in Roscom in 1135, then it had already departed from uh, from uh, Clomac Noise. Now, the books of the Connacht group, the ma manuscripts of the Connacht group, are found in works penned by members of different learned families uh, throughout Connacht. Uh, and elsewhere. But if we look at them and examine them in detail, there's one family that stands out. And that is, our, these are our friends, the Ewell Khundra. Uh, the manuscripts of the Connacht group, very many of them, can be associated with the Ewell Khundra uh, and their tradition. Uh, British Library, edited in 1782, was repenned in 1517 and 18 by the sons of Sean MacThorne O'Mail Rawlinson B512, uh, by three me different members, probably, of the Omoyle Khunra family. British Library Harley 5280 was penned in 1506 by Angilarivach O'Cleira, 
a member of the family of historians who served the O'Donnells of Donegal. But the interesting thing about this is that he transcribed it at Corlys Connell. This is not so far from uh, Ballycommon, County Roscommon. So he went to an Omel Chunre Centre to copy uh, a text or texts from uh, a manuscript uh, there. This affords an interesting insight into the way scribal networks worked. And we find almost a reciprocal arrangement uh, some uh, around the same time, maybe a little bit later, with Murias, uh, son of Padin Omel Chunre, who goes to uh, copy the uh, text of Lavra Gowala uh, that was then extant in LU, uh, and he most likely had to travel uh, to Donegal to do this. And we have other examples of scribes from different families visiting centres to get material and to, uh, uh, to, to copy it uh, for, for their own purposes. The Ewell Chunra were a very long established family of historians. Uh, Paul Walsh uh, discussed them in detail, and Nullock will tell us far more about them uh, tomorrow. They were historians of the shield. They were one of the very first uh, families, uh, learned families, of which we have evidence. One of the first families uh, we, uh, uh, we know of. We have obituaries for them dating from the 12th century. They became historians of the shield Muradi, the O'Connors. The O'Connors, the most powerful dynasty uh, in, in Ireland at the time, but a dynasty that was also were also very, very strong and powerful patrons of the arts, patrons of the church, of church, church architecture, church building, and also of native learning. Uh, the earliest family of historians, probably the uh, Omel Conras, uh, of uh, poets, probably the Igala, and these, the early, uh, the early members of the Odala family can be associated with the patronage of the uh, of the O'Connors. So anybody who had the patronage of the O'Connors uh, was in a very strong position uh, indeed. In 1232, the uh, Imwell established their center of, uh, their scribal center, center of learning at Clun Bolkain, which is again in the same area as uh, Ballycommon. Uh, the name is now no longer used. It used to be called Ballymulconry, uh, but its location is discussed by Walsh in the paper to which I refer, uh, or the, the work in which I refer uh, on, my, uh, on my handout. The Ewell Conra had strong associations uh, with, uh, with Clonmac Noise. Uh, Gareth McOwen, in his paper on the scribe H in, uh, in uh, the first volume of, uh, of Eulidia, adduces some evidence, not the evidence isn't very strong, as he'd, uh, as he'd concede himself, that associates the scribe H uh, with areas known uh, to the, uh, to the uh, with North Roscommon and other areas known uh, that, that, that were known to the Ewell Conra. So what must, what um, I'm going to suggest is that the Clan Noise exemplars entered the possession of the Ewell Conra in the late 12th or the early 13th century. These were the people with the wherewithal. These were the people with the support. Uh, and after Clonmac Noise um, suffered a number of uh, devastating uh, attacks and being sacked several times, uh, it uh, ceased, its importance ceased in the latter part of the 12th century. So the library, or part thereof, I suggest entered the possession of the Ewell Conra. And that this Ewell Conra library or archive forms the basis of the Connacht group of, um, of tales.
Now, when I say it forms the basis, we're talking about the late 12th or early 13th century, where we have a gap of some 200 years or, or more before we meet our next representatives of this material. And uh, during that period, the processes which I've outlined of copying, scribing, the learned families themselves uh, propagated, grew, divided. We had several branches of different learned families. New learned families grew up. And it branched out and flowered out. So what we witness in the 16th and uh, 15th and 16th century uh, is the flowering out of this core, which I would argue came from, uh, from Tom McNoise. So brief then to go look back over the transmission of uh, our tales. From the beginning in East Ulster, we have a staging point in Armagh, or with the dissociation of Louth and Monastery Voice. Uh, where the tales were re redacted and rewritten again. And then we have this axis between Armagh and Clonmac Noise, where they were uh, transmitted uh, probably in the 10th and the 11th centuries. Then, after the decline of Clonmac Noise, they entered uh, the possession of the Ewell Hunra and, the, and thence into the, uh, into the late uh, medieval uh, Connacht uh, group. Um, we have a parallel for this scenario I'm proposing, in the transmission of the Irish Annals, which start with the Iona Chronicle, associated with Iona and with East Ulster. It goes through Armagh, where it's rewritten and redacted, a material added to. Then it goes to Clonmac Noise after 9-11, where it's, the cudgels are taken up by Clonmac Noise uh, scribes. And then, partly, it goes north. Gareth MacNichol and uh, um, Nicholas Evans have argued that uh, the Ewell Hunra also had a hand in the transmission of, this formed the basis of the later uh, Connacht uh, annals. Uh, and of course, it forms the, the, uh, the basis of the late medieval uh, Connacht, uh, Connacht group. So our manuscript 23 and 10 uh, has many interesting features, but one of the most important is that in it, we find a concentration of old texts. Uh, this may have been the uh, the archive text, uh, or a copy thereof, it, it's not, it is a copy, uh, of the archive, an archive text compiled by earlier generations of the Ewell Kunra and was used by other scribal families in, the, uh, in that and in succeeding uh, uh, centuries. And I think we can agree uh, with this, uh, with the, uh, the title of our, um, uh, of our conference, that this is a little, and even though it's a little remnant of the work of the ancients, it is an extremely value, valuable uh, remnant of that work. So thank you for your attention.